hello, hello, and welcome back to the SLP Corner podcast. This week is a very unique situation, and I'm really excited about it. This week, I have Kenzie from Speech Meta. She's a volunteer at Speech Meta, and she is a high school student in Vancouver area. Kenzie wants to be an SLP when she's older, and so I'm going to let her introduce herself and share a little bit about what we're doing here today, but essentially... I'm going to introduce Kenzie to the podcast, but we're going to switch roles and Kenzie's going to be the interviewer and she's going to ask me some questions about SLP and basically just further her learning in the field. And um, I thought this would be a great opportunity for other people who are Kenzie's age or people who are SLPs to be to have this on our podcast rather than just for her school project, because then everyone can get answers to the questions they might have about SLP. So Kenzie, can you introduce yourself a little bit about how long you've been at Speech Meta and things like that? For sure. So thank you so much for having me today. So my name is Kenzie, as mentioned earlier. I'm a high school student currently going into grade 10 this upcoming September. And I would love to become an SLP when I'm older. Currently, I'm volunteering at Speech Meta. I've been volunteering for about a year now. And it's been a really great experience getting to work alongside the SLPs and getting to learn more about what a speech environment is. So when I first joined Speech Meta in the summer, <laughs> Kenzie is one of the first people I met. And I don't know if you know that, Kenzie. My first week or my second week, and I was putting toys away and I didn't know anyone yet. And Kenzie is only going into grade 10 now, but she was just conducting herself in such a professional manner that I thought she was an SLP. So I was like, hi, my name's Shannon. I just started here as an SLP. Are you an SLP here too? And Kenzie was like, no, I'm a student and I'm in grade nine. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're like so professional and you introduced yourself to me and you were just like, I totally thought you were an SLP at the clinic. So yeah, that was pretty awesome. Thanks. It was really nice meeting you as well. I'm so happy I got to meet you. It's been such an amazing experience and hopefully one day possibly I can work with you at Speech Meta. That'd be really cool. So today for our school project, what we're working on is we participate at our school, this thing called integrated studies. So this is where four particular subjects integrate with each other while being their own subject. And this year, towards the end of the year, we get to work on a free inquiry, which is when we get to learn and research more about a topic of our choice with little to no guidance at all. So this year, my focus question I wanted to integrate with hopefully becoming an SLP and getting to learn more about the field. My focus question is what is the connection between language, learning, social interaction, and child development? And with your help here, Shannon, I would love to know more about kind of what it is to be an SLP and how it can help in everyday life with child development. Okay, so should I first, for anyone who's listening to this at your school, like should we introduce first what an SLP is? Yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to know more about kind of what is an SLP and what speech language pathology is. Okay, so it's so funny because today is National Speech Language Pathologist Day. And so there's so many posts going around today about what an SLP is and what an SLP does. And I love days like this because it's so often that, and I'm sure Kenzie, you already get this, when you share with people that you're really interested in speech language pathology, they're probably like, what is that? Or they might have a very specific idea of what an SLP is or what an SLP does. So I'm going to try to break it down because we work with a lot of different types of people. 
and we work with youngest as infants all the way up to older adults. So speech language pathologists essentially work to prevent, assess, diagnose, and then a lot of focus on treatment of speech disorders, language disorders, social communication challenges and difficulties. We do swallowing and feeding as well. That's something that people aren't always familiar with. We work a lot with older adults after they've had strokes and they might have things like aphasia, so they might have challenges with their language. We also do lots of things with children who might have hearing impairments or rare genetic disorders. So it's, it's a broad field. Typically, SLPs focus on a more specific area of that. Not always though, like a lot of private practice SLPs really do it all. But typically for me, for example, I work with mostly children with autism. And then I work with some children who have challenges with articulation. So they have a hard time making certain sounds and then stuttering. Stuttering is a big one. And that's one that people often say, they'll, they'll be like, oh, is it stuttering? Because that's what people think of when they think of SLPs. But then there's also that social communication piece. So we do a lot with social communication, executive functioning, free literacy skills. We work with a very broad area. Yeah. And then I could go into like the different areas we work in if you want to, but you let me know. Yeah, for sure. I'd love to hear about kind of the different work settings an SLP can work in as well and the different age groups as well. Yeah. So was the last part different ages? Yeah. So for different areas you can work in, you can work in private practice. So you could be a private contractor. You could work in a private clinic. That's what I do right now. I'm a private contractor at Speech Meta. That's how I met Kenzie. You could do that where you often work with children who they're either paying privately or they have funding services. You could work in a health center, so like a health clinic. So that's public funding. That might be more like early intervention, younger kids, one to four, one to five. A lot of SLPs work in the school system. So they're school-based SLPs. So they work with children in elementary school and high school. You could also work in acute care in the hospital. So you might work in the ICU and on different wards in the hospital. And you do a lot of um, swallowing assessments and a lot of treatment for swallowing or what we call dysphagia. And then there's also stroke recovery centers. So that's very common for SLPs to work at. Nowadays, well, even when I started my master's program, even before the pandemic, there were strictly telehealth SLPs. So there's, there's companies that only provide telehealth services. So SLPs can provide services to rural areas. I think it's in across Canada, not just BC. But yeah, so it's, it's a very like broad, we can work in all different types of settings. That's kind of what drew me to the field. I really like how much variation there is. And then the ages. I remember in my practicum, one of my first practicums, I worked with a six-month-old who had a hearing loss with the audiologist very closely trying to work on sounds, introducing various sounds and having them be able to discriminate them. And then that was the youngest child I've worked with. And then, but I know some SLPs do like feeding straight from the get-go if there's any feeding concerns right from the beginning. And then like the oldest is there's lots of older adults who might need help with their language because of Alzheimer's, or maybe they've had a stroke or they're having swallowing difficulties. It's really just across the lifespan. For sure. Thank you so much for sharing. As you previously mentioned, you worked with a six month old. So around that age, I'm assuming that they don't know full words and stuff like that. So how do you work as an SLP when you focus on language with such a young age? So that was specifically for the hearing impairment side of things. So that's when we were working like very closely with the audiologist to try to support the child's ability to discriminate between different sounds. But oftentimes parents bring their kids in when they're toddlers 
And they're what we've heard is like late talkers. The way it's defined is a child who has less than 50 words at 24 months, or they have no word combinations at 24 months. So these are young little kids coming in and they might not have any words or they might be very delayed. So then our role is try to help stimulate their language. So we do lots of parent coaching with parents and teach parents strategies to help stimulate their language. We often are the first people to notice we might want to be referring to get an autism assessment because typically what we see is a parent might be very focused on the lack of words, but they might not be noticing other things that are associated with autism. Like maybe the child's not responding to their name, or maybe they're playing in a more restrictive way, or maybe there's a lack of pretend play. And so oftentimes the focus is on the child's number of words. But then when we see them in clinic and we're playing with them, we might pick up on that. And then we might think, oh, you know what? We might want to recommend an autism assessment. And then in BC, SLPs are involved in autism assessments from zero to six. And then after age six, we're no longer involved in the assessment process. But we get those early intervention kids, those young kids, and we're usually very involved in that process as well. That was super helpful. I would also love to know how do parents, let's say they have, they've noticed a lot of things with their children, like they might be behind in the word count, or they might not be interacting with others as a typical child at that age would. How do these parents reach out to get resources like you guys as an SLP? How do they get those sources? That's a really good question. And okay, so a lot of parents, just like how we kind of talked about that at the beginning, SLP is not a lot something that people are very familiar with all the time. I find that SLP is something like either people know really well because they have personal experiences with it, either a sibling or they somehow were involved with an SLP or they don't know what it is. So a lot of parents don't actually know what an SLP is. So I find that the most common way I, I get young kids in the clinic to come see us is because they saw their pediatrician or family doctor and then their pediatrician or family doctor recommended that they see an SLP because maybe they're presenting with no words, maybe they're not meeting their language and speech milestones, maybe they're having a stutter, things like that. And then the doctor or their, the, the family doctor or pediatrician will recommend them. But in BC, you can self-refer but typically it's usually a doctor that I get the referral from because I know like when I, I did a clinical placement in Summerland and we would go to different public places like daycares and preschools and try to share information about SLP and milestones to have parents refer because they can refer to the public health system. But typically I find that it's through them seeing their doctor, which is good because they have regular checkups and the doctors are pretty good about referring them to get the support that the children need. Thanks so much for sharing. That's really cool how you share other experiences when you go to daycares instead of them having to reach out to you. It's also great that you're educating others. I was also wondering, what's the connection between SLPs and child development? That's such a good question, Kenzie, <laughs> because, and it's such a big question. There's so many different pieces to that. So I, I'm going to try to answer it in two different ways. And we can kind of go from there if you want more things specifically answered. But when I first think about this question, I think of emotional development and then like cognitive development. So first we can talk about cognitive development. So SLP is fundamental in working with children's developing cognition, them learning things and understanding things and adding things to their schemas of understanding. Children learn through language. So I'm going to try to explain that because I remember when I first heard this, it was so interesting to me when they broke it down like this, but children learn through the errors they make. So 
a child might look at a cat and they might see a furry animal with four legs and they might call it a dog. We are now aware that, oh, they have a misunderstanding. They've overgeneralized that concept and they think all furry animals are called dogs, but really that's a cat. So then the parent says, oh, a cat, it's a cat. And now the child, because they were able to vocalize and share what it was that they thought, they actually learned just in that moment. They were like, oh, okay. Parents are always teaching their kids things through their kids' mistakes. So if a child says, oh, I see two cats, a parent might say, oh, two cats. You see two cats. And they forget that, oh, the plural S. And so children are, children are always learning. And that's helping their understanding of the world around them to have these corrections. But that's coming through their language. So my first thought is, oh, so if a child is nonverbal or they're very delayed, that's going to have a big impact on their learning because they're not going to be able to make as many mistakes that we can catch. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So SLP is very important in that area because a child needs a way to express themselves in order for them to learn more. So that's why we always say AAC is so important. So AAC is alternative or augmentative communication. So that could be through an iPad where if anyone's listening who isn't familiar with what that is, it's like when you see an iPad, there's things called like touch chat, speak for yourself. You press a button and it talks for you or there's low tech options and things like that, or even sign language, anything that's not using your verbal output AAC. And that is really important because we need to give these kids ways to communicate so they can learn more. And so we are teaching them language, but it's so much more than that because really we're teaching them to be able to use their language to make errors in their thinking so we can correct them and teach them. With your question about how SLP relates to child development, it's huge because these kids who aren't reaching the typical milestones, they're going to need more support. And if their speech and language is delayed, we're going to see delays in other things as well, because they're not going to be able to learn from us as much because we're not going to catch their errors in their thought processes. So that's one area. Do you have any questions about that? No, that was really detailed. Love that. <laughs> okay. I tend to over-explain because, oh, no, that's really good. <laughs> because when I went, whenever I'm learning something for the first time, I like people break it down and give me an example. Then the other thing that I want to say about child development is emotional development and regulating and controlling one's emotions. This is very tied to speech language and communication because children often might be throwing tantrums or having like quote unquote problem behaviors but really all problem behaviors are communicative in nature. So it's a very rare, or if ever a child is trying to be quote unquote disruptive or uh, negative around the people that they're around, like they're not trying to do that, they're little kids. And usually this stems from, they are not able in some way to communicate a want, a need or a feeling. So we're gonna see a lot of problem behaviors arise. And so oftentimes when we're thinking about problem behaviors and we're thinking about maybe they're having a lot of challenges with emotional regulation, we want to think, do they have a way to communicate? Do they have a way to share what they need? Maybe they can't say, I need help. Maybe they need a little visual on their desk and they can point, it says help. Maybe they need to be able to learn how to sign help, uh, like ASL, I'm showing her over, but you can't see it if you're listening to the podcast. <laughs> so SLP is key in that area as well, because we need to give these kids the tools to be able to express themselves or else we're going to see a lot of problem behaviors arise. And it's not really that the child is like a bad kid. It's, that's never the case. It's that they can't communicate their feelings. And then we always hear parents say like, use your words, 
because we know, like we have a feeling like, okay, if you could just use your words and explain, we might be able to get somewhere. But a lot of the kids that SLPs work with, that's not as easy. That's not as simple. Like we, they can't just use their words. You know what I mean? So we might need to set them up with some visuals. We may need to set them up with an AAC system. We might need to do a lot of parent coaching. So I think that when I hear that question from you, that's like the two main things I think about. I think about language and cognition. And I think about language and emotional development and emotional regulation. I absolutely loved how you shared that. It's so easy to just say something like, make sure you use your words, but instead you shared alternatives such as ASL or AAC devices or showing like visuals as well because especially with children especially with me when I was growing up it's a lot easier to learn through visuals. I'd love to know more about how for example an SLP let's say we're at speech meta it's a private practice let's say you have a client that comes in for roughly an hour once they go home how do they connect with what they learned during like a speech session with the real world, for example, let's say they're gonna go grocery shopping, like how do they practice what they used in a session with outside world and with their parents at home? Okay, you have so many awesome questions. Like I can't even believe you have these types of questions at your age because I didn't even know what SLP was at your age. And you have all these like amazing questions because that is that is such a good question that I think more people need to be thinking about because what you're saying and it's so key is how are you going to work on generalization how are they going to generalize what they're learning and the goals that you're achieving into the world around them because i always tell parents if they're going to achieve it in the speech therapy room and nowhere else not that helpful like this isn't really that effective so there's lots of different ways that you can work on generalizing things to home and the community that they're in so number one most important involve parents in sessions parents need to be part of the sessions one session with an slp without a parent in the room especially with little kids because of course older when you're working with older kids like teenagers it's different when you're working with little little ones you need the parent in the room and they need to be involved. They need to be aware of what the treatment plan is, aware of what the goals are. And we need practice. They need to be able to practice in the session to get feedback. So that parent coaching piece is key because if the parents are learning with us in session, then they will be able to go home and practice what they learn. But if parents aren't in the room, then they, then they're having a harder, they, they just won't know necessarily how to work on it at home. And one hour, once a week is not going to cut it. We need a lot more usually for these kids. So number one is parent involvement, parent involvement, parent coaching, and parents are often very eager to be involved. So that's really good. Parents want to be part of the team. They want to be involved. That's an important piece of generalization. Another one is oftentimes with children with autism, they have a behavior team. So they'll have a BI, they'll have a BCBA. So what most SLPs do is that we just join their meetings every now and then to let them know our goals, let them know what's happening with our progress and what we're working on, what strategies we're working on. We'll send them visuals we're using, then they can use those visuals at home. I'm always emailing parents or I'm emailing BCBAs or BIs back and forth, sending them visuals and supports that I've been using so they can use it as well. And then another thing is sometimes what I've done is go to the school and see the school SLP, see the child at school. What's different? What's happening there that I'm not seeing at home? To summarize that, I would say it's being involved with their team. If the child has a team, it's key to be involved with their team. And then the second would be parent involvement is everything. Like it's so important to have parents involved and parents um, or siblings. When I say parents, I also mean like parents, siblings, grandparents, because I know like my mom, so my niece has a rare genetic disorder called SAPI2. 
and she has a praxia of speech. And so she uses an AAC device to communicate. And my mom, her grandma, attends her speech sessions a lot. So I'm, I don't want to just say just, just parents. Like, of course, family members in general are so key. Thanks for sharing with your niece and how her grandma also tunes into those. It also reminded me, my younger brother, he saw Fiona Huey before. Now he doesn't. But I remember one of the sessions. That's when I got to join with my brother, Jing. That's how I learned about speech language pathology because I was like oh I want to be a teacher because I love working with kids I love teaching and learning from them as well so when I saw this I was like it's really cool how you can use a simple board game or some toys when you can teach so many manipulatives with those things and it was really nice that as a sibling not as a parent I could join in as well and learn a lot about it including family members siblings and everything is so nice yeah I love that thanks for sharing that too like that's really nice to hear and that's such an unnice way that you were able to learn about speech pathology you have that really personal experience with it for sure one final thing you previously mentioned stuff about ASL and how sometimes instead of using words to communicate that kids might need to use like the help sign for ASL. Have you as a speech language pathologist working with kids with language delays or auditory issues, have you ever used ASL in any of your sessions and how has ASL kind of impacted your role as an SLP? Okay, so another great question. <laughs> you were like such a good interviewer. We should just just come on the podcast more. <laughs> Do my job for me. So, yes. Absolutely. I use ASL a lot. So American Sign Language. So a lot of people might be who aren't familiar with ASL, you've all seen the more sign where you put your two hands together. So yes, I use ASL a lot with toddlers. Some toddlers take off with it and some don't. So it kind of depends. I feel like there's some toddlers who totally take off with it and some toddlers prefer visuals. So it kind of depends the toddler, but I think it's important to supplement verbal output with either visuals or sign language. And I don't know every sign. SLPs don't always even take a sign language course. We learn it just indirectly through placements and things like that. The reason why it's so helpful is because if we all just take a minute and think about how fine motor our speech mechanism is to produce words and sounds, that is very challenging and it is hidden you can't see a lot of like right now i'm talking and you can't tell where my tongue is going to make all these sounds that's so hard it is amazing like i always say this to parents it's amazing kids can learn speech and language without explicit instruction or more help because it's so hard to learn if you really think about it compared to something like walking you're making the k g sh s your tongue is in different places it's so specific so signs can supplement that and they're more salient you can hold them for longer they stand for a whole word like help that's a whole word with one hand motion so oftentimes kids might take take off with this uh, or visuals so sometimes you can use different types of AAC using visuals for kids to help communicate how they're what they're thinking or how they're feeling what they're wanting to say it's really nice because I the way I explain it to parents is like it's a less intimidating almost for them. Like aside from all the, we know it's evidence-based. It's very an effective strategy for kids who are having a hard time verbally communicating, but it's imagine how much less intimidating it is to sign more than trying to say 
more. That's like a lot going on there. And if you're already a late talker, you maybe you have some motor speech challenges or you're a child who's not necessarily referring to my face a lot. So sometimes kids with autism, they're not going to be looking at my face as much. Then it's a lot more helpful for them to be able to be introduced to other ways to communicate. And one thing I want to say is it does not slow down their verbal output, like that side of things at all. That is false, totally doesn't slow it down. It actually speeds it up. So it helps with their language development and their speech, their speech and language development to be introduced to some form of AAC. So if kids are having a really hard time with verbal output, that's definitely something that's very helpful. And I, I use it all the time, even with older kids, like I'm always using visuals in my session and things like that. I loved how you touched on how ASL doesn't slow down language development when a lot of people, it's a common misconception when they might think when kids use these actions, they just get stuck with actions and forget about their words. It really enhances their language. That's all I have for today. If there's anything else you'd like to add, I'd love to hear anything. I would just like to add that I think it's so awesome that you're doing this. I think that you are so cool that you're getting involved with speech pathology so early on. Like, you are just going to learn so much by the time you're an SLP you're going to know more than everyone because you're learning from such a young age and I'm so impressed with your dedication to it you're just very focused on it I think that's so awesome and for anyone listening if there's like any younger people listening and they're really interested in the field go check out social media like there are so many SLPs who are posting things on social media and there's just so much to learn there. I don't know, Kenzie, if you follow a lot of accounts, but there's a big SLP community on social media. So I would recommend like if anyone's like, oh, I want to learn more about SLP. I'm so interested in SLP. There's so many Facebook pages and Instagram pages that you can check out to just learn more about the field. And yeah, thanks for interviewing me. This was awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to join you today. It's been an amazing learning experience from previous podcasts, getting to listen about them and actually being on one. That's very cool. So thank you so much for everything. Thank you for sharing. Okay. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening and I will see everybody next Monday. Thank you.